You're listening to Decisive Point. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the authors and are not necessarily those of the Department of the Army, the U.S. Army War College, or any other agency of the U.S. government. I'm speaking with Dr. John M. Schusler, author of An Ambivalent Balancer in the Middle East and Beyond, which was published in the winter 2023-24 issue of Parameters. Schusler is an associate professor in the Department of International Affairs and is co-director of the Albritton Center for Grand Strategy at the Bush School of Government and Public Service at Texas A&M University. Welcome to Decisive Point, John. Happy to be here. Thank you. What is offshore balancing? Offshore balancing is a grand strategy that the United States has perhaps pursued historically, and many analysts and scholars think the United States should pursue going forward. And it basically says that the United States should maintain the balance of power abroad in core regions, those regions being Europe, East Asia, and the Middle East. The United States should stop any power or coalition of powers that threatens to dominate one of those regions. However, at the same time, the U.S. should do this from offshore as much as possible by assisting local states in their efforts to stop these potential hegemons. And only if the local states fall short should the United States step in itself and lead the balancing effort for example, with putting frontline troops in or even fighting in a war. What role has offshore balancing played in the debate over American grand strategy? Today, if you look at the people that are arguing about what American grand strategy has been and should be, I'd say it's one of the two main poles of the debate. The other pole is what I would call the prevailing grand strategy, deep engagement, There are other options on the table, but essentially deep engagement is the main alternative to offshore balancing, and deep engagers basically say that rather than maintaining the balance of power from offshore, the U.S. should remain deeply engaged in core regions through alliances and partnerships in order to stabilize core regions so that war doesn't break out in the first place and feel that offshore balancing would be too risky. The United States attempted to balance from offshore might simply get in too late, if you will, or at too high a cost. How does the stopping power of water impact the ability of a regional hegemon to act as an offshore balancer? In the article, what I primarily do is examine offshore balancing's logic on its own terms and ask, are there any tensions here? And the main one identified has to do with, quote, the stopping power of water. This is a term that John Mearsheimer, a well-known realist scholar out of the University of Chicago, and full disclosure, my dissertation advisor, popularized in his book, Tragedy of Great Power Politics, where he also makes the case for offshore balancing. Essentially, he says, because of the stopping power of water, which is the way that water makes projecting military power, but especially land power, difficult, That's kind of what enables offshore balancing. The United States can be an offshore balancer because we are fairly secure being insulated by the oceans. We can afford to take a bit of a wait and see approach as other threats emerge. And oh, by the way, it's hard to project our power over water as well. So actually doing more than offshore balancing can be very costly if you get bogged down in other regions and sap your strength. For him, the stopping power of water is what enables or makes offshore balancing logical. 
I counter his logic at some level and ask, if the United States is so secure because of the stopping power of water, wouldn't that dull the incentive to offshore balance in the first place? The rationale for stopping another power or coalition powers from overturning the balance of power in their region ostensibly would be that another hegemon like us could threaten us. However, the stopping power of water really would limit the ability of that hegemon to threaten us directly. At most, it could pose an indirect threat by, quote, meddling in our backyard, maybe forming an alliance with a local state that would be an irritant, but no one's going to invade the United States. That's the bottom line, not even another regional hegemon. What that means is when the United States is confronted with the prospect of balancing against another hegemon, as I think we were on the eve of World War II, we get second thoughts. There is going to be a debate about, is the threat so dire that it's worth paying this very high blood and treasure cost to stop the threat, or is war itself worse? I think we look back at the period before World War II and are tempted to write off the anti-interventionist, misguided isolationists, but frankly, they had the political impact they did because they were pointing to something real which is the U.S. might be able to survive in a world with other hegemons. And I don't think that was completely misguided or delusional, however much we like to disparage them. That is what I think could dull the offshore balancing instinct or tendency on offshore balancing's own terms. What are the implications of the stopping power of water for American ground strategy? Beyond what I've said thus far, I think it reminds us that restraint is embedded in the American grand strategic tradition and is not going to go away. Periodically, I teach at the Bush School, our namesake, President George H.W. Bush. He and other presidents give speeches warning against the impulse toward isolationism. Understandable, but because of the United States' unique geopolitical position, there's always going to be some temptation or attraction to remain restrained, to be very discriminate about the commitments we make and the wars we fight. We just can't be sure that when the need arises, we will maintain the balance of power abroad. There's going to be an ambivalence there, hence the title of the article. I don't think there's really anything that can be done about that. I think it's a product of real material facts, the stopping power of water, and the fact that the United States is very secure. In your article, you consider how offshore balancing might come into play in the Middle East. Is there a situation where the United States might need to become an offshore balancer in the Middle East in the near future? I think there's a plausible scenario, but not in the near future. As we're seeing today, there are all sorts of hot spots in the Middle East that could draw in American involvement. We have partners there like Israel, some of the Gulf states that have their own fights they're in and they need our help. You have to set that aside a bit and ask, when would offshore balancing be relevant? It would be most relevant when a power in the region was attempting to dominate it. And really the only candidate for that, although a long shot at the moment, is Iran because of its latent power, its large population, its economy, its reach in the region. I'd say in the near to medium term, Iran is too weak and divided to really be a plausible candidate. But in the long term, and these things happen, if Iran were to overcome some of those obstacles, the United States would be confronted with the prospect of balancing in the region. 
on the one hand, I do think there would be an attempt at offshore balancing. As I said, we do have a number of partners in the region who would be as committed as we are to containing Iran, and we could help them diplomatically, militarily, economically. However, if it ever got to the point where those local efforts were falling short and the United States had to play the lead balancing role, I do think you'd see a pretty heart-wrenching debate about whether a war at that scale was something that was justified in the Middle East. Beyond what I've already said, there's also something a bit different about the Middle East from the other core regions. Historically, at least, and this is a bit of the departure from the core offshore balancing logic, when people worried about a Middle East hegemon like Iraq in the past, the worry wasn't so much that that hegemon would project power into the Western Hemisphere, for example. It was that it would use the oil weapon to coerce others. The threat here was more economic, which is not to dismiss it. Oil shock-induced recession is a serious thing and would be very politically significant, but it's not the same thing as Soviet or Chinese or something projection of power into the Western Hemisphere. I think for them, the reasons I've already stated, and then this additional fact that the nature of the threat would be a bit different, I do think there would be a large amount of ambivalence about going all the way to contain Iran if it were to threaten to become a hegemon. Do you have any concluding thoughts you'd like to share before we go? When you're thinking about the grand strategy debate, often in our public discourse, what you pick up is there are enlightened folks who believe in things like deep engagement, and then there are unenlightened or misguided folks who are pushing restraint. I know that's very tempting today when the wars in Ukraine and Israel call for American aid and help. But I would just ask people to be open-minded about the fact that restraint has a real logical and historical basis and cannot just be written off as ideologically misguided or narrow-minded or something like that. Thank you. Listeners, you can read the article at press.armywarcollege.edu slash parameters. Look for Volume 53, Issue 4. John, thanks so much for making time to speak with me today. This was a real pleasure. Likewise. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode of Decisive Point and would like to hear more, you can find us on any major podcast platform. 